Hello and welcome back to Words the Bee Gees podcast. My name is Cristiano. And I'm Stuart. And on this gloomy February morning... <laughs> it definitely is gloomy. <laughs> we're going to be looking at The Kids No Good. In previous episodes, having looked at Robin's solo work, Robin's Reign, yeah. and Morris's The Loner, we're now completing the trilogy of Brothers with Barry, although we still have another Robin album to come. Yeah. This is material that Barry recorded across 1969 and 1970, yeah. with an intention to release this as an album mid-1970, I reckon. Well, I would have thought so, Chris, yeah. Recording for this album started on the 15th of February 1970 at IBC Studios. However, this was bringing in songs that had already been written. Yeah, I would have thought so. If if this is early 70, Chris, then I would assume quite a lot of these were done towards the end of 69. Well, that would have been midway through recording for Cucumber Castle. Mm. But unlike... Morris and Robin with Barry's work that we're going to be looking at today a lot of this there's a lot of songs but only half of them we actually have recordings of a lot of them are just titles with lyrics yeah that, that there's no music for well I think there was a poetry book wasn't there that come out and um, I think it was issued to the fan club there are quite a lot of titles that we can't find any any songs for but they are written as if they're meant to be a song yes yeah, they are. You know, your verse, chorus, etc. And like Robin's album, Robin's Rain, and then Sing Slowly Sisters and Morris's The Loner, The Kids No Good would have been inspired by the Bee Gees splitting up in 1969. Yeah. If you listen to the album, I, I could quite easily see this as being Cucumber Castle Part 2. Yeah. It, it's, you could put this together with that one and, and have a, a, a double album. I found an article from Disc and Music Echo dated September 1969. And Barry was reported to have said, I just didn't believe in two people being in a group. Okay. Colin, Vince and Robin have put the lid on it for me. They all left for their own reasons. I had nothing to do with them leaving, despite the things they have said. Vince said that my music got on his nerves. Robin said he was a better singer than me. Colin said that I wanted to be king. King of cucumber. Oh, yeah. What Morris does is his own business. We will still work together, but it won't be as the Bee Gees. Barry went on to say, By going solo, I could lose a fortune, but money is not important. I couldn't give a damn. I will always have my songs, and I don't think I will ever dry up. I would be content if I had nothing but a tape recorder. I could still write songs and record them, which goes back to what we said about the home demos. Yeah, having his home tape recorder. All that he needs is a guitar and a tape recorder, and he's well away. But yeah, then going on to the 1st of December, in Britain, Barry announces that he's quitting the Bee Gees. The NME, which is the music mag at the time, reports that Barry is fed up, miserable and completely disillusioned. Barry plans to be a solo artist from this point on. And then the next day, we get Robert Stingwood, who comments on Barry's departure. We are not opposed in principle to Barry going solo, and we will be meeting with him and Morris later this week, following Morris's return to Britain. And then on the 6th of December, the enemy reports that with Barry's departure from the Bee Gees, plans for them to have the record label cannot be determined. However, plans for turning Cucumber Castle into a TV series has now been scrapped. Rumours are that Morris will focus his talents on working with Lulu. But then we're now into 1970, and there obviously must have been a change of heart, because again, in the enemy reports that Barry and Morris will, be, will continue working as the Bee Gees. There was never a split, comments Morris. It's simply that Barry was bored and said the wrong thing in the wrong way. Nonetheless, Morris is now set to make his solo acting debut 
in uh, Singer Root Song. So there was a bit of conflict, confrontation. Nobody quite knows what they're doing. Well, I'm getting a little bit confused here because every episode that we've been talking about going from Odessa, the story on the split, depending on which brother we're reading the quotations from, it always seems to change. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? And I'm losing track at the moment of of who said what and and when the split exactly happened. Then there's other news from uh, Record Mirror, which is another music magazine. Morris said that Cucumber Castle is still being developed. I didn't realise that it was going to be a TV series. I assumed it was always going to be this one-off. Perhaps they had, say, six episodes, but then they just melded all of them into one film. Yeah. And it would have been short episodes. I don't know what they would have, uh, how they would have covered that, do you? <laughs> I mean, it's a little bit, the bits we've seen of it, 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 it an hour stretching it, isn't it? From that same article that I read from earlier, from September 69, Barry also goes on to say that there are plans for a European tour. No, oh, okay. So oh, I didn't know that. I wonder what material that would have been touring. He'd obviously cover stuff that he's recording, and then I would think he'd probably go backwards into the catalogue, but concentrate on songs that he wrote. To love somebody. Yeah. And hopefully my favourite, Kilburn Towers. Yeah. Going into the recording information and personnel on The Kids No Good, on lead vocal, backing vocals and guitar, Barry. Yeah. Arrangements by Bill Shepherd, On backing vocals, P.P. Arnold but only on the opening track, Born. Yeah. The sound engineers, Mike Claydon and Damon Lyonshaw. And then other contributions, which are unknown and unlisted, include drums, could be Jeff Bridgeford, who was at that point joining the Bee Gees. Yeah. On piano and organ, they're unknown, could be Barry. Or just people from the orchestra. Yeah, yeah. Or session musicians. It's, it's uncredited. particular name there that we'll look into is P.P. Arnold. Yeah. We mentioned her during Cucumber Castle. P.P. Arnold's association with the Bee Gees started after they'd heard her version of To Love Somebody. Yeah. And Robert Stig would put them in contact with each other as a mutual yeah. manager. Between the 12th of June and the 12th of July 1969, P.P. Arnold took part in sessions that were produced by Barry. And the output was a few songs. We've got Bury Me Down by the River. Give a Hand, Take a Hand, and Let There Be Love. Now, Bury Me Down by the River and Give a Hand, Take a Hand were chosen as the respective A-side and B-side for her single, yeah. but Let There Be Love wasn't chosen, and I haven't heard that version. I don't know if No, I don't think I have, Chris, no. Fortunately, in 2017, a lot of the work that she did with the Bee Gees was released on the album Turning Tide, Yeah, and that featured... High in a Windy Mountain, which we hadn't heard before that. No, that's that's an unreleased song from Barry and um, Morris. Yeah. I've got the album, and the reason I got it was for that particular track, because I knew it was on the lists of Never Heard Before, so I got it really for that one. I'll be honest with you, it's not an album I play too often. It's not really my cup of tea. Okay. That sort of music. Yeah, me neither. I like her as a session singer. I'm not... a big lover of soul music i appreciate it but it's not a genre that i tend to go towards when other artists do soulful songs such as the Bee Gees, i like it mm. it's not a genre that i'll go out of my way to listen to i think if you if you're not too keen on a person's voice it's just it just doesn't register with you does it 
But as a backing vocalist, I think it's fine because it added sort of another register and another level to the song. And quite aptly, the song that P.P. Arnold contributed towards for The Kids No Good was the opening song, Born. So should we go into it? Yes. Now, before we start, this this is strange for me because when, when I got the, the bootleg of this, which, by the way, is in excellent quality, um, was in around about 2004. And my version starts off with Mando Bay. But for the purpose of this one, you've always start, you've always done it with Bourne. We'll, we'll go with Bourne. Yeah. But it's a bit strange for me hearing this first, because I've always associated it as last. I could never listen to this album opening with Mando Bay. We'll get onto that later. Well, I, at the time, I thought, hmm, unusual song to start an album with. Yeah. But then I suppose you, I played it and played it and played it. You, your brain just gets used to it. So your brain knows what's going to follow, etc., etc. So when something the curveball's thrown at you, and, and you said to me, "Oh, I've got a version with with Born starting." Okay, so I've, since you said that, I've started to listen to it um, with Born, and I'm gradually coming round. And I assume you've got Mando Bear as the last track, haven't you? Yeah. So I think that works sort of fine as the last track, but I can think of better ones. I realise that we haven't actually gone through the track listing yet for this album. So it starts with Born, then One Bad Thing. The day your eyes meet mine, happiness, peace in my mind, and then Clyde O'Reilly closing side one. On to side two, I just want to take care of you, I'll kiss your memory, the victim, this time, what's it all about, and then closing off with Mando Bay. And all this was done between February and March 70, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So it was all wrapped up by the end of, end of March, amazing. So with that wrapping up in March and Cucumber Castle coming out in April, I should think that this album might have been ready to go in April, but Cucumber Castle naturally took priority. Mm, Definitely. Let's start then with looking at the proper album opener, (laughs) and that's Born. I think this is the perfect way to open an album. As I said, I'm now used to it, so I'd agree with you. And as we've said before, this is something that the Bee Gees, whether they're together or apart, they're always really good at opening an album. Yeah, I mean, I think this is one of the best tracks. Best tracks on the album. I think 
Barry's done something, a style that's not, we've heard him do before. Certainly not to open an album anyway. And then with, with P.P. Arnold, as we said, on backing vocals, it, as I say, it just takes that song just to another level. Yes, it does. I really like it. And P.P. Arnold filling in for where Morris would have been? Yeah, I think so. I mean, would you have liked her to have been on more tracks? Because I think she's only on this one, isn't she? Yes, because she provides a soulful flavour to the album. And although I said soul music isn't my go-to style, I really like it whenever other artists, such as the Bee Gees, incorporate it. And it makes Barry's music different to the Baroque pop of Robin and different to the swamp rock of Morris. It makes them all stand apart and, and... be individual but I would have liked I mean especially if if we're going down the route of a, a solo album to me the idea of doing a solo album is doing something that you've not done before yeah whereas I think we'll find as we progress through some of these tracks it, it's treading on oldie ground well I say oldie ground Cucumber Castle that hadn't been released yet but obviously been recorded so but uh, we'll see as we go through them but I definitely would have liked to have heard her on quite a few of these tracks yeah me too is this a solo Barry composition on writing credits? It is. There's a couple, as we'll go through, Chris, that, that are not. They're with Morris. Okay. But that's only, I think, because they're, they're older tracks that he brought into the session. Right, okay. An immediate feature that stood out to me on this song, and it's what kicks off the song and kicks off the album, is the use of brass arrangements, which we haven't really heard, with this being Bill Shepard, we haven't really heard that throughout no. the Bee Gees. No. And it really helps to give it that punch, yeah. that opening kick of brass right snap into the album is really effective. Again, it could have been used a little bit more, couldn't it, to just have a theme to the album. Yes. This song has very poignant lyrics particularly where Barry was at this point with the split. Born to be free, born to stand alone, born to be me. Yeah. It's all about individuality. Oh, okay, yeah. Rising and shining as an individual. And it's as though he's revelling in his creative freedom away from his brothers. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of them songs you listen to and you're expecting the falsetto. And then I think we do get a bit of falsetto at the end, don't we? Yeah, this falsetto seems to be creeping in more and yeah, more. Yeah, But it, it was there waiting to happen, wasn't it? It needed the right producer to let it out. Yeah. I mean, it'd, it'd been interesting if they if they met Arif Martin in the end of 70, where he would have taken... Though, I suppose we got Mr Natural, didn't we, before we got main course. So he'd always probably took an album to, to change, but yeah. that's in the future. Yeah. Yeah, this song really has everything. It's got punchy vocals... It's got a soulful flavour to it. He's even singing at some points in that same Americanized country voice that we heard from Cucumber Castle, yeah. even though it's not a country song necessarily. All it needs is the breathy vocal <laughs> and it would have everything. Yeah. It's always ifs and buts, isn't it? But if they were short on songs, again, I, w- I would have given this one to Arif Martin in 74 on Mr Natural. It probably would have fitted better than probably Dogs, which is an unusual one which would then lead you into main course and the start they were going to. But 
like many other great tracks, it, it remains and still is unreleased by him. And it's it's a brilliant track. And it, it's such a shame that majority of people have not heard it. Yeah, we hope that by including it here and talking about it, that we're introducing a lot of people to this material. Yeah, it, it's so sad that it's it's... I mean, obviously, it's all over the internet now, so you only have to... You can listen to it easy, YouTube or whatever, but to get the physical products, either CD, vinyl, which seems to be the thing at the moment... First song on the album, How Are You Scoring, Born? Well, as I said, it's probably one of the best, um, though I do know one of the two songs to come. I'm, I, I'm going to go with an eight and a half stroke nine. Okay, I've gone with an eight. Yeah. Well, on that point then, Chris, shall we go on to uh, the next one, which is, well, not a bad thing, it's one bad thing. One bad thing, otherwise, the way I see it, is one amazing thing. <laughs> yeah. This is superb. This is another single-worthy track. And I think that this is worth the price of entry alone. If this album were to be released on CD it'd be or vinyl, it'd be worth paying the price for the CD or vinyl just to hear one bad thing. Yeah. When I first heard the album, this, this one jumped out of me as the best one. Yeah. And curiously, this one's written previously with Morris. Okay. If you're going in comparisons, it's quite strange that this is the second track that's on the album and then you've got IOIU which is the second track on Cucumber Castle and that's a Morris duo one but it's an up-tempo one followed by a relatively okay yeah maybe that's... and again IOIU was a song left over from 68 yeah maybe this is the this is a trick that they like to do yeah just to, to get the album going and then then pump it up but yeah just something I happen to know is that oh that's strange IOIU was, was a track they pulled from the previous year um and, it, and both of them are not the same, but not dissimilar. This was scheduled to be the A-side of a single, uh, coupled with The Day Your Eyes Meet Mine as the B-side. Um, but this single was cancelled during production. Supposedly, all but one of these singles was destroyed. So wherever 
that one remaining single is, whoever has it, that, that, is, a, that is a great rarity. There is excellent use of scat vocals coupled with brass in the refrain between the chorus and verse. It's incredibly catchy. It's a great hook for the song. Well, the thing about Barry's writing is once you've heard it once, you think, where have I heard this before? It feels like it should have been about years. But Barry's got that knack of composing songs like this. Yeah, this this song deserved exposure. Whether it was a, whether it was to be later used as a Bee Gees song or given to someone else, yeah. it needed to be... Put out there. Yeah. Again, why this was not pushed as the first or lead single for this, I don't know. Unless he didn't want to start an album with with Morris on a composition, you know, as a dual composition. I don't know. If you're listening to this album, this has got to be the one to start with. What do you think Morris's contributions to this song was? Do you think in the lyrics or just more as a the rhythm? On, I think probably the, the rhythm on the music. Yeah. And, and again, we had the similar thing we talked about with Pity. It's that boom, boom. You know, it's that getting the rhythm going and then they build a song from it. And it's upheld really well with the brass work. There's a muted electric guitar which goes really nicely with the vocals and the melody line. Nothing but praise for this song from me. Yeah, no, really good. Interesting enough, Chris, it was re- recorded by about four different artists. Oh, OK, right. Yeah, you had uh, The Freshman. There was another group called uh, New Horizon. Ronnie Burns, again, an ex or an old user of their songs from the Australian years. And uh, Wildwood. But unfortunately, none of these were, I don't think they even t- tickled the charts. And at this point on the album, two songs in, what really stands out to me and what I really like is that after Cucumber Castle and Odessa, which have been quite ballad heavy, especially the songs from Barry, these two songs are really upbeat and as far away from a ballad as you could get. So it's like a complete contrast in direction and it just stands out so differently from what he did before. Yeah, and totally different to what the two brothers have done as well. Yes, yeah. I suppose that's what made a Bee Gees album so eclectic, because you had three brothers putting their own individual style onto everything. Whereas on these, you've you really got all Robins, then you've got all Morris's, and they were coming to all Barry's. So you can start to see them where each one was coming in from. Are you aware of any version of this song, a demo that features Morris? No. I think it's a bit like, I think we said about the early versions of, of IOIU or Turning Tide. I know they, they're in the studio, but I've never heard any, any copies of it. When was this recorded? This song was, I think it was one of the latter ones, wasn't it? It was about March, end of March. Okay. But I think it was tried, or it was written with the batch of songs from last year, or 69. Okay. How do you score this? Well, this one I'm going to go with a, a nine. Yep, yeah, I'm the same. I don't know why I can't quite go for the 10 because it is pretty fantastic yeah it was a 9 when I first heard it and it's still a 9 so because some songs you listen to and after a while you you, right that's not quite as good as what I thought it was Mm. but this one no I'm sticking with a 9 
will be a day A million bells for miles around Will start to play I'll take your hand Side by side We'll walk the avenue The day that I look at you The night your lips meet mine Now that will be a night well, I said that we'd gone away from the ballads. Well, for the third track, we're going back to ballads. We're going back to territory. That but we... a really beautiful one, yeah. The Day Your Eyes Meet Mine. This, I find, is very Carpenter-esque. I could imagine Karen Carpenter singing this. I could, actually. It's not when I thought of, but definitely. All, since the first time I heard this song, I, it always reminds me of the Carpenters. It's got a really lovely opening scat melody line in F major. Barry is using scat vocals a lot on this album, but they really help with the hook of the song and really help to pull you in. Yeah, this is a really beautiful, heartfelt ballad. And with this being the third track on the album, I think that this opening run of three songs matches any opening three songs on Bee Gees albums that we've already discussed or that we will discuss in the future. I think this is a, an excellent opening run of three songs. Yes, I do. Really, really good. The Day Your Eyes Met Mine is a typical Barry popish ballad again this would this would easily slot into cucumber castle as you say the third track in and it, it it's top notch yeah i definitely prefer this one to the lead-off single i'll kiss your memory mm-hmm. but again i'm pleased that it was put as a b-side even though probably that single wasn't released it's a good album track but i don't know whether i would have put it out as a single at all a or b okay it, it's one of those that as you mentioned with the carpenters Brilliant song to give to somebody else to sing and just see where they go with it. Having I'll Kiss Your Memory as the previous single, before that, Don't Forget to Remember, before that 1st of May, you're perhaps a little tired of Barry Ballads as the A-side. Yeah, but I suppose when they do things a little bit different, they bomb. Yeah. Which is a shame, isn't it? And so then going into Trafalgar and and the next two albums, they, they really stick with Ballads as the lead-off. Yeah. Yeah, single. But then saying that, you've got um, Lonely Days, Lonely Nights, which again could be a commercial version of One Bad Thing and I Who Are You, because it's, it's that's a two part, slow, fast. Tomorrow, tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So it's one of the first songs that one, surprisingly, that that style that, that really charted for them, though not here. <laughs> We've not spoken much of Bill Shepard yet on the album. He does the arrangements, and this is the first song where. Although I love his arrangements on every song, on this one, it really stands out. And there's such a a clever matching of instruments with lyrics. When Barry mentions a million violins will play, Bill Shepard then brings the string section forwards in the mix and you can really hear all the strings. A million violins will play my candlelight. Well, I remember in the the early 80s, well, probably mid-80s, Somebody sent me a tape of this. We're talking cassette in the 80s and the quality was pretty poor. <laughs> it just seemed at the time a bit sort of droney. But there's also another bootleg 
of this song, but it, it says it's a slower version, doesn't it? I know he sang this on German TV, so I'm wondering whether that's a recording of that. An, an off-air recording? Yeah. Could be. It's interesting that you heard this song in the 80s before then getting this album in the early 2000s. So when you got the Tales of Brothers Gibb box set in the 90s and that has I'll Kiss Your Memory on it, were you aware that that was from this same album? How much did you know of this, this album? Hardly anything. Okay. Before, this this It was all virtually new to me until probably the first time I got to know any of these, uh, Kicking the Head, whatever, was with, with the book that we refer to, The Ultimate Biography. Okay. I mean, that was just like putting a light bulb on for me. Every page you turned over, it, it was like another song that I never heard of. It was brilliant and frustrated at the same time. <laughs> What do we know of the recording and composition for this one? Well, again, I think this is a track that Barry pulled from 69. And again, I've got it down as composed with him and Morris. Oh, OK. All right. So we've got the previous track and this one, both dual compositions. Though it does sound like a Barry song to me. Again, like Sun in My Morning, this being a dual composition, I imagine it being them two sat with guitars... Yeah. Working out this song. Yeah. And that's for me, that's where I think it should have stayed as. We could have some sort of style of song here with even if it's a string quartet at the back, just something just to take it somewhere slightly different. The day that I really like this song as it is. I would like to hear a stripped down version and I can see why you think that would work better but I like all of the arrangements and embellishments that have been added to this. I think I I agree with you but I'm going down the route that he's doing a solo album. He's not doing a Bee Gees album. He's doing a solo one. So let's, let's try different ways of attacking each track but I suppose in hindsight we're looking at it sort of 50 years down the line and 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 like the previous track that was was given away, or people tried it, this one was covered in 1971 by somebody called Lou Reisner. Um, I've gone through my book and anything, and I can't see any chart action with this one either. Not only is it they're not performing that well themselves, they're not what songs they're giving away are not performing. So I don't know whether it's just pure bad luck or it's just the style they were writing in was not current or what people wanted to hear. As far as I'm aware, just given to the wrong people. Yeah. I don't know who many of these artists are that we're mentioning with this, with one band. No, thing. I don't. I mean, I don't know whether it's it's just the song publishers think they know somebody that can try it out or something. But they are sort of, as far as I'm concerned, unheard people. Admittedly, we had that minor hit or quite a hit with, with Engelbert with the last one. So I suppose if you do put a really popular name to a song it through their name it's going to get some airplay of course it is yeah, yeah. They, they they tend to gain more traction than other lesser known mm. that's why going back to the 
the previous episode, Chris, it's surprising, I think I said before, that Lulu didn't cover any of those tracks from Alona. Yeah. As far as we know, there's only Everybody Clap that they did together. And you'd have thought that as husband and wife, there would have been a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. But no. So that, that, that was like the only record that them two charted with. So unfortunately then, and obviously with Robin getting diminishing returns on his singles, it's, it's, um, it's all a little bit doom and gloom for him, isn't it, regarding chart action? But despite all of that, I really like this one, so I've given it an eight. I've gone with a seven. Okay. That then leads us on to... Happiness. Just because I told you lies And made a fool of you You know I didn't mean to do And all I ever asked was happiness I cheated and I lied But it was meant to be But you know I did the same to me And all I ever asked was happiness Don't take my love away Don't you leave me alone Just remember, I still love you, and I need you so. You know I didn't mean to go, cause all I ever had was happiness. Okay, well after the first three tracks which I waxed lyrical about, perhaps this is too similar to The Day Your Eyes Meet Mine to be sequenced straight after it. This is a heartfelt piece, and it's got an understated arrangement throughout with the twinkling electric guitar. But, yeah, it, it never really grasps my no. attention. I'm, when I read some notes, and I put it's got a, a lovely orchestration and vocal. In isolation, it's fine. But a bit like you, putting this one straight after the day your eyes met mine, and then into the next track, it's sort of lost. Yeah. I did notice, Chris, that on the... 8th of June, Barry recorded a session for a Radio 1 DJ called Dave Lee Travis, and he did three songs. There was This Time, I'll Kiss Your Memory, and Happiness. But I've checked everywhere, and I can't hear or heard of any radio broadcasts of this, so whether it must have got wiped or... Yeah. That must have been the only time, then, that a song like Happiness was... Heard uh, outside the studio. Yeah, yeah. considering it, it's never had, really, any release at all since then. Yeah. Cause all I ever had was happiness. For me, the greatest aspect of this song is Barry's vocals. I think this is a really great demonstration of what he can do. The way that he transitions from the soft voice in the opening verse and chorus to then the, the, the fuller, 
more soulful, give a hand, take a hand style voice in the middle section. Mm. It's a really good demonstration of, of his versatility and, and what he's capable of. I presume the subject matter is regarding he's cheated on somebody and he's, he's sending a letter of apology. Mm-hmm. That's the way I, I tend to see it as. But yeah, yeah, it's just, as I say, it's just a little bit lost in the mix on this one. Which we found with The Loner yeah. a few times. It's all about sequencing and trying not to have two songs in the similar genre next to each other. But if you're writing quite a lot of songs in this sort of style, you're going to end up with this sort of thing, aren't you? I mean, Adele tends to get away with it, so... uh... (laughs) But now that we're four songs in and we've had the upbeat, up-tempo, born and then one bad thing and then some ballads, when you first heard this collection of work, is that what you would have expected from a Barry solo album in 1970? When I first heard this, it was a an early 70s Bee Gees album, in the way that Two Years On, Trafalgar, well, it was, it was like, it could have been part of a three set, or, as I said earlier on, it, it's the follow-up to Cucumber Castle, a part of Cucumber Castle, that's how I saw it, so... You need to hear it quite a few times before the songs, which we've said it a lot of times, before they sink in, don't they? But yeah, I, I found this one to be no more, no different to any standard Bee Gees album. Just obviously missing Robin's vocal. Yeah. It's generally what I would have thought Barry would do on his own. I tend to, when I think of him, I tend to think immediately of acoustic ballads. Yeah. And this album has a lot of that. And then going from Cucumber Castle, the soulful flavour and country, which it has in spades as well. So yeah, whether the whole matches the sum of its parts is something that we will discuss at the end of the episode. Because I think that in isolation, all of these songs are great, but whether they work as a whole collective thing, I'm not so sure about. But yeah, this happiness is just the definitive example of a song that on its own is really good. But here in the middle of side one, with a ballad before it, and as we'll get onto a ballad after it, doesn't quite work. No, I don't think so. For that, I've given it a six. Yeah, I've gone with a five stroke six. Six at best. Okay. And now onto the fifth track, Peace in My Mind. Deep in the night Lonely virgin Keeps a vigil High on the hill She is the horn of the lonely shepherd Counting his sheep when the morning is still Peace in my mind Is something we've still got to learn The moment you find It's drifted apart Slowly but surely you'll turn Let the whole world pick up my lines
Well, as we've said previously, Chris, this this is not dissimilar to the previous two tracks, but I find the hook more memorable on this one. It's got beautiful arrangements, and I just think the vocals, again, and everything on this is outstanding. Very similar notes from me. I think it's got a really lovely transition from Happiness. They just seem to flow into each other really nicely. And like Happiness, this has an understated, dreamlike quality to the arrangement. I mean, I'm happy with the arrangement on this. The only thing I'm missing is Robin. That would take it to another level, just the backing vocal again. Barry certainly knows how to write really good pop songs, doesn't he? Ballads. And and this is one of them. They've been in the business long enough now, aren't they, to know how to make a quality record or having a a song that might not be the best in the world, but turn it into something that's, that's far better than what it is. Yeah. There isn't a whole lot of sense to the lyrics on this one. I've heard it a few times now, try particularly listen to the lyrics, and I couldn't, whether it's words sort of put together in such a way, because this one does appear in his poetry book. Um, so whether it's done as a poem and added to, I don't know. Like happiness, I've given peace in my mind a six. Yeah, I'm going to go with a seven on this one. Okay. And now on to the sixth track, the last on side one, Clyde O'Reilly. We're back to the country-esque story songs, similar to Marley Put Drive. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's the one because in, in my in my notes here, I've put country-style story-ish. Reminds me of one from Odessa, but I couldn't think which one it, it was. But yeah, thanks, for, thanks for that. It's a good break from the previous few ballads. Well, it's a change of pace a bit, isn't it? Yeah. So probably, if anything, we could have swapped this with Peace of My Mind and swapped them two the other way around. Then yeah. So Happiness, Clyde O'Reilly, then finish with Peace of My Mind. Definitely swap these last two around, if anything. I think I've said before that country isn't my go-to style either. I don't like soul music. 
And so I find that with this one running at about five and a half minutes... It, it out- is long, isn't it? It outstays its welcome. I understand that that's necessary for a story song, but this one I find plods along for a bit longer than necessary. Yeah. What's the recording notes and compositions on this one? We're looking at the notes, Chris. This was done on the 20th of February, where Barry recorded um, five songs, of which four were going to this album. This one, along with Peace of My Mind, there was also Born and Mando Bay. Okay. So we've got the beginning of the album, the end of the album, or the end and the beginning, <laughs> and then two in the middle. And mostly different from each other in their genre. Yeah. For Barry, that was quite a uh, productive session. And some of the best songs in that session. Yeah, they're all different from each other, whether they are the best of the whole album, but no. that, that is a nice productive day. Definitely. As it stands, I've given this a six out of ten, but I do prefer it to Peace in My Mind and Happiness, which I also gave a six. You do? Just because this is slightly different, but I couldn't quite give it a seven. Oh, okay. No, I've gone with a six on this one. I prefer the track prior to this one. Okay. That finishes side one. Turning over onto a hypothetical side two. I just want to take care of you. A nice little upbeat number to get you on the side too. <laughs> Your lonely house is an There's no fun or laughter From this day I'm your friend, girl Is it love you're after? I just want I just want to take care of you Don't let me hear It's over I've heard that song So many times before Don't let me hear it To hold me Come down off your Is it true what you Great harmony work from Barry and call and response with the pre-chorus but I think this is an unusual choice to open up side two Yeah, I totally agree, Chris. I I would never have gone with this one. Put it at the end, but certainly not at the beginning. Uh, I know we said when we started this podcast that Bourne started off and a couple of others have started slow, but I think this one's taken to the extreme, isn't it? Mm. This one, Chris, was done in... I've got the 20th of February. I probably mislead you, actually. The the other songs I've got that I did say were the 20th of February was the 22nd, so apologies on that one. But this this was done on the 20th. With Victim, Moonlight, Summer Ends, and I'll Kiss Your Memory. So this day, compared to the other one that was a a mixture of genres, this is much more of a ballad-heavy day. Yeah. It's interesting to note that uh, 
when he recorded this it went onto two inch 16 track tape which is a very well it's a really early use of that new format whereas Morris and Robin were still using the old 8 track and actually even the Bee Gees albums later on were still on the old 8 track could that explain why the audio quality of this is better than, possibly than say the loner yeah I found a quote, Chris, on Wikipedia where Barry's discussing The Kid's No Good and he says, I love country music and I probably allowed a little more than I should to influence me but I do music that I enjoy and I hope that everyone will also enjoy too. If you try to work for whatever anyone else tells you to do I think you get lost. This is exactly the point of what a solo album is about. We've seen it from lots of other artists from different bands who when they get a chance to do their own solo album it's not about what the band wants to do, it's about what they want yeah, to do. which is what I was saying all along. It, it is a solo album, you just go into different ways of doing songs. This is everything that Barry loves. He loves country, ballads. So it, it it's not a surprise that this is what we're getting on the album. Mm. And quite strangely enough, he's the only brother not to do an instrumental. Yeah, I had not considered that. He could do. I'm yeah. sure he could have done. Could have done. When you think of what on the Robins reissue and then on the bootlegs from Morris, there's nothing from Barry, is there? And yet you thought because he, he was, I thought he was the main person behind the the orchestral bit at the end of Living Eyes. On Morris's album, The Loner, the instrumentals we thought were a bit TV theme like, and on Robins we had Moon Anthem, which is very orchestral. How do you think? an orchestral or instrumental on this would have compared? I thought it was Barry behind the instrumentals on Odessa. So I assume he would, if he was going to put an instrumental, he would have gone on something similar on here. Especially having Bill Shepard yeah. on board. Or even a uh, um, sort of an instrumental of a clip of all the songs put together at the end. But saying all that, I, I do like the song. I think it's got quite a, a laid back... Barry vocal and I see on the notes it was originally called It's Over okay again there it's gone from It's Over to I Just Want to Take Care of You it's a different perspective isn't it I do think of all the tracks though this has got one of the strongest choruses I, th- I think it's a really good chorus I, I just want I just want to take care of you Simply because of how good Barry's vocal is in this song, I originally had a six in my scores, but I'm going to up that to a seven. Because I know we discussed this sort of thing, don't we, before recording this, what, yeah. what scores and bits and pieces. Um, so you have, you have shot up, because I think I put this down as a six, I believe. That's, yeah, six it was. So, Are you going to say the same? Yes, I'm still going to say the same. I would go for it a bit more if I preferred the verse. Okay. But as I said, I'd much prefer the chorus to the verse. So it's quite strange, isn't it, that when I first heard all these these three albums, I assumed that this was way far the best of the three. But to be honest with you, since since doing this podcast, it's I'm a little bit unsure now. It's just interesting that I was assumed that this was the best of the three. But yeah, interesting. I think this is great material, but but my problem is more in, in the way that it's been sequenced. The album is so front-heavy with those opening three songs, and then it gets better coming up. But just this middle bit is a bit of a one similar song after another. Yeah. 
yeah, I probably would have swapped this one and the next track swapped them over. Or put this time. It was a B-side on the single, so it could be the B-side on this one. Don't say the words, it's over. Please don't say it's over. And now on to the lead-off single from the album, I'll Kiss Your Memory. of releasing this one as the first single I have no idea I don't know who whether it was Barry's decision to do this or whether it was a combination of people but if you want to rep- represent the album or a change of you, you've done the Bee Gees you're doing a solo album then why release a track that's very similar to Don't Forget to Remember that's what I was about to say do you not think it, it in a way it makes sense because it is similar to Don't Forget to Remember and it is very similar to Sweethearts and Railroad. Yeah, I mean, those two are way better than this. I'm being critical, but I mean, I I don't dislike the song. I just think as a lead-off single, I just don't see where they were coming from on this one. Okay. Uh, It's quite old school. It's sort of got that Jim Reeves type of feel to it. Have you got a different opinion of it? Again, like Don't Forget to Remember, it's not a favourite of mine either. No. It plods along. Now your lips are gone. I'll kiss your memory. Did it do anything for the charts? As far as I can see, the only thing it did appear in was in the top 20 Netherlands, where I think it reached the high peaks at 16. I've looked through several sources and I can't see where it reached any higher than that or even it achieved top 40 anywhere. It goes with what I thought, you know, it, it wasn't a good choice. You could put this as the B-side, and so if, or double A-side if you wanted to, then it gave the DJs a chance to decide which they think they prefer. Well, I found a quotation in the Ultimate Biography, and Barry says about I'll Kiss Your Memory, 
It's not the same orchestra as we used with the Bee Gees, but Bill Shepard is the only arranger I'll ever work with. Up until 1974. (laughs) On the single, I'll Kiss Your Memory, I double-tracked my voice seven times because I knew exactly how I wanted everything done. Well, despite being quite negative of one thing or another, it's still still an okay song, so I'm going to go with a six. Okay, I'm with a five. Well, at least things pick up with the next song... The victim. This is the highlight of the album for me. I've got this down in my top three. I think it's it's got a beautiful melody. I really like this one. I also like Chris, the way it builds, sort of very slowly, getting sort of bigger and bigger. I mean, Barry again, in his sort of quite laid-back vocal style on this one. I think it's really good. Yeah, it, w- it was really pleasing in the recent interview between Barry and Tim Roxburgh when Tim asks about... A lot of this material from The Kid's No Good. And The Victim is a song that Barry remembers very well. He instantly recalls the melody line and, and starts singing along. I think this is one of Bill Shepard's greatest arrangements. The way that he uses the orchestra reminds me a lot of Barry Gray's soundtrack compositions. Yeah. He a lot with Jerry Anderson. Yeah, really, really well put together. It's a wonderful vocal from Barry coupled to a melody that really lingers in the subconscious. Yeah. You mentioned earlier on, Chris, talking about, um, always on about Radio 1 playing Happiness. It would have been nice to have heard this. Yeah. In the ultimate biography, Victim is described as sounding as though it could have been written for Gene Pitney, perhaps inspired by something's gotten hold of my heart, as Barry's vocal delivery is virtually identical to the American singer in several portions of the song. Oh, I'll have to give that a listen then. Oh, yeah, 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 
Yeah, I can see where they're coming from slightly. I haven't listened to it. It's when he sort of emphasises certain words like direction and echo. It's it's like the beginning where he wants to... It's a bit of a rasp. That's it. To his voice yeah. as it goes in. Could you think of anyone that this could have been given away to, if not Gene Pitney? Well, if we're looking at... I don't know who would, who would transfer this. I, I think you need somebody like a Barbara Streisand, that sort of start. Or whether you went for more of a Dionne Warwick type person. Obviously, they're the two solo albums that he did many years later. If I was choosing the singles for this album, the lead single would be One Bad Thing. I would have this as the follow-up. Do you think that would work well? I think it would. Yeah, I definitely do. You're starting again with something up-tempo, and then you're going into something which is not quite a ballad, and it's not something that we've heard like the other previous singles. So yeah, I think that would be um, quite a good, uh, good choice. I mean, I think it's sort of a precursor to How to Mend a Broken Heart. I mean, that did really well for, I think it was Al Green. I could hear him singing this song as well, though I don't think this one's got the commercial hook that How Can You Mend a Broken Heart is, but I think it's nearly as good. Yeah. Do you think that in the following decades, in the 80s and in the 90s, it would have been worthwhile for Barry to have revisited any of this material? Would it have worked if he'd have redeveloped it with an 80s production? I don't think so. I'm trying to think of the 80s... Um, I know Barry had his own sort of style, didn't he? And he obviously tended to adapt it to whoever he was recording it with. But I don't see anybody that I can think on top of my head that this could have been given to. I think this song lends itself to a male singer. And as I say, I think you probably would have found more of those in the early 70s than you would probably in the early 80s. Okay. Early 80s, you had a lot of new romantic stuff and, you know, Duran Duran and that sort of stuff. So, no... I don't think it would have done. Kenny Rogers? Possibly, yeah. Well, I mean, he worked Eyes That See In The Dark, didn't he? Had we been talking about Buried Treasure in the 70s, <laughs> I'd have said the same thing. No, nobody would see it in the 80s, but he did an average job of it, didn't he? So, yeah, possibly. This being a highlight on the album, it's a nine. Yeah, it's the same for me. Nine. And the next song on the album, the B-side to I'll Kiss Your Memory, this time. This time my love will be stronger 
This time my days will be longer Things are gonna be much different this time And I'll know where I'm My love in my hand With all Now that we're going through the album one song after another and reviewing them and listening to them and, and analysing them, it gets to this point that that despite the influence of country on the album, which is very predominant on the yeah. album, and as we found that quotation from Barry earlier, it's what he loves, it makes yeah. sense that it's here. But where this album suffers is that all of the country songs seem to be just too similar to each other this album suffers after the first three songs and then with the exceptions of things like The Victim, it really suffers from a lack of variety. Whereas at least with Robin's Reign and we saw with Morris's work that there Instrumentals was... Instrumentals and... There was difference. What we needed here was just something different to, to lead out the album. It's too, too many similar things going one after the other. Yeah. I find it's okay. It's a bit one pace for me. I would have liked to bridge put in to really take it somewhere and then bring it back again. Yeah. Would this have worked as an A-side, swapped them around? I don't know. I don't think so. No. And obviously this time, people could read into the lyrics as well. So I think think as a lead-off single, it wouldn't have worked. Okay, well, I'll read out some of the lyrics, because I agree with you. I think they are quite poignant. This time, it's going to be different. I'm going to do things my way. Things are going to be much different this time. This time, my love will be stronger. This time, my days will be longer. Things are going to be much different this time. Hmm. Yeah, very prophetic for... What, what's just happened? Being on his own. I said about in the episode for Morris that Barry's lyrics aren't as autobiographical as Morris, but this is an exception. Yeah. The part that you read out, it, it doesn't deviate much from that, does it? The chorus just get and the verses just keep getting repeated. And looking on the recording schedule, this one was recorded in March as opposed to I'll Kiss Your Memory early February. Okay. So it was one of the latter songs for the album. Perhaps for that reason, that would be why it's not in the poetry book, because the A side of the single, I'll Kiss Your Memory wasn't on wasn't in the poetry book either this time, this time, this time. how are you rating this one again oh, I give Kisha memory six uh, sometimes I listen to it and I think mm, this is a better song than the other one. So I'm probably going to go with a six again, because I'm I'm undecided which of the two I prefer. I put this at a five. So does that mean that for you, I'll Kiss Your Memory and This Time is the weakest lead single from the Bee Gees so far? Oh, by far. Yeah, and I think it's it's the weakest as well from comparing it to uh, Morris and Robbins. Okay. We'll see if things change towards the end of the album, going on to the penultimate 
what's it all about? As it turns out, things don't change towards the end of the album, <laughs> as this is another country. Maybe I just need to get into more country music because this is it just doesn't do anything for me. And the problem that we're experiencing on this album, where it's too many styles of the same, then really makes me wonder, because this is a problem that the Bee Gees suffered with going up to 1973 where they were getting stuck in a genre. Mm. It, it's starting to make me think that was Barry the main person to, to influence that style? Yeah. It, it, because it, it doesn't come across in the other two, does it? Robin experimenting with his, with his drum machine and Morris going to slightly more orchestration sees a slight deviation, whereas, as you say, this one is, is same... If you look at it, it was recorded in such a short time, only literally from the end of February to the end of March. So we're only talking like eight weeks to gather all this, do it all, orchestra, you know, get everything all sorted. And then blink of an eye, a single's out, flopped, and we're moving on. Things just move so quickly. Yeah. Whether he brought out a Kiss Your Memory in May and then wanted to get this rush released... Hence why it was, it was all done and it was the first bunch of tracks, let's put them all together. And then it didn't get released. Whether he could have gone back to it at a later date and mm, I'm going to work on this or I'm going to change one or two tracks. Because usually on, on albums you do get, I mean we've looked at how many tracks re, were done or given away between 66 and 68, whatever. They had they, they, The three of them were working that fast. They could decide which of the better tracks to put on or leave off. But with this, literally, the only track that I could see he recorded was what was one track, I think, A Child, A Girl, A Woman. Does a lot of the music on this album, to you, sound like what was going on in the 60s and 70s, being more familiar with that music than I am? Yeah. Does it fit in with that period? The end of the 60s, 
I was only sort of eight. So I was more interested in, in pure pop music and looking at my singles at the time. It was uh, that I had brought for me. I had Saved by the Bell, as I said before, brought for me. And the next BG single I had was Run To Me. Going back and you look what was in the charts, obviously I, I know the stuff, but it wouldn't have been stuff that I would have brought. As I've mentioned before, end of, it was quite end of the 60s, everything was all album orientated. Yeah, so around the time Barry was recording this, it's a really varied albums chart in the UK. You've got Simon and Garfunkel with the classic Bridge Over Troubled Water. But then we've got quite a lot of soundtracks. You've got Paint Your Wagon, Easy Rider. And then you've got Led Zeppelin coming in with a couple of albums in the top 30. Canned Heat, uh, Johnny Cash, The Beatles with Abbey Road cream so there's there's quite a it seems to be more heavy you're either going from one extreme middle of the road to heavy metal i suppose or or rock and stuff and then you look at the singles charts from the same period and it is completely different so you've got lee marvin at number one with one of the songs from paint your wagon wandering star you've got the beatles number two will let it be bridge over trouble water number three then you've got one of the jackson's early singles i want you back then you've got Edison Lighthouse, which is the sort of single I would have brought. Love grows when my rosemary grows. <laughs> um, so you can see where I'm coming now, can't you? Then you've got John Lennon, Instant Karma, Canned Heat, Pickety Witch, which is the middle of the road song. Herman's Hermits, they're sort of leftovers from the mid-60s. Yeah, so it, 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 the albums are totally different to the singles. So where Barry was going with that... Oh, I've just noticed as well that the best of Bee Gees come, it was at number 50. Okay. So there is there is an entry there somewhere. And this is for the end of March 1970, yeah. which I would guess is when this album would have made sense for it to come out. So I do I do think one bad, one bad thing would have fitted in with the singles charts, but I don't see any other tracks that jump off here as, as commercial singles. But with it, but with this one, as you say, we're now putting an ultimate track, and it's okay. Isolation, fine. What's it all about? Well, what's it all about? I, I, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm guessing a type of protest song, or it starts off fairly slow, but it it does it does pick up. You know, the, the pace picks up. We're not getting an, an out and out ballad, but the the pace of this and this time are. Similar. What's it all about? What's it all about? What's it all about? The good Lord gives a sermon, then you're free. Well, I think if anything, Chris, I think what's needed on this one is uh, P.P. Arnold on it. Just to take it like she did with Bourne, just to give it that extra level as a call and response to what Barry's saying, what's it all about, and if you had something. Yeah, and I'd, I'd like to know whether she was, she participated in more songs from this album, for instance, just in the demos, but then she was mixed out. Yeah. How much more involved was she? Whether she could have turned into more of a gospel-type song. You could have done different arrangements on this one. What's it all about? The good Lord gives a sermon. 
going on from my comments, this would be a five. I'm going to go for a six again. If they'd have gone with what you'd said earlier and brought in P.P. Arnold to give this a different flavour, yeah. soul or gospel, I think this song could have gone somewhere. As it is, yeah, unfortunately, it is middling like a lot of the other songs at a five. And I, I say I'm, I'm with a six on this one. It goes back to what we've said earlier on that this album was seems to me to have been written, produced really quickly. So I don't know whether they had that much time to try different things. They tend to be probably how Barry envisioned it when he's doing the demo yeah, and took it to the studio and just developed on it. And then on to the last on the album, or the first as it would be for you, yeah, Mando Bay. I think we are going back to something that Humperdinck could do. Yeah. Quite a crooning, sweetheart-like vocal style. And it does have that overly sentimental quality of Don't Forget to Remember. It is a sort of song that I could imagine being circling the club or cabaret scene of the time. Yeah. It is a suitable end to the album, but it doesn't rectify the issue that I'd been raising throughout with what's it all about, where the mood and genre needs uplifting. This doesn't do anything to change that. Well, going back to what we said in, in the previous song, looking at the charts, there was a couple of albums as well by Herb Albert and Tyuna Brass. If you're saying anything similar to the charts, you've got a bit of the old brass or the sound on the, on the back end of this as well. off the album this is a five out of ten yeah i've gone for a bit more than you because as i said i'm used to opening the album i'm torn between a six and a seven so i'm probably going to go with a seven on this because i do prefer it to a couple of others that i've given a six for where does this leave us for songs that 
didn't make the album cut. Well, I've got one here called Moonlight. Not a brilliant recording. I assume because the other ones are so good qualities, because they are from the album, what was going to be the album, and this obviously was a left-off track. I like this. I think it's it's better than a lot of stuff that's on the album. Again, it goes back to what I say of, of some of Barry's songwriting, where it, you feel like you've known it. You could hear it once and think, I've heard it before. go to Barry's last album you've got Starcross Lovers which is like a very distant cousin to this again it's a song you hear once or twice and you feel like it's been in his repertoire for ages Barry's very good at doing that by this point even 1970 a decade in the industry longer than that just knowing how to write songs for genres and for people was this intended for anyone else is there a reason why it didn't make the album do you know I was thinking that I, I have no idea why it didn't make the album because it was recorded along with all the other songs during the sessions. I don't honestly know why it wasn't. Uh... Would this suit anyone else? Can you think of? Well, again, we said en- Enkelbert seemed to chart with Sweetheart, didn't he? <laughs> uh, one of our favourites. <laughs> but no, he could sing this. You know, if you're looking for a straightforward crooner type style singer, then uh, um, Michael Bublé, something like that. Okay, yeah. What do you make of Jerry Vale's version of this song? Well, it's great to hear it in better quality. And I think I'll leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stick with poor quality Barry, if that's OK. Looking at a passage from the Ultimate Biography, it says, Better known by his stage name of Jerry Vale, the American crooner chose to record what is arguably the best of the bunch of recordings from The Kids No Good. Moonlight is right up there with words as one of Barry's finest compositions. And at the time of writing this biography, even 30 years after its creation, it remains a hit in waiting. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I think. It's waiting for someone to, yeah, to realise yeah. it. Yeah, and I've, I've always thought that's one of the, one of the better songs from the, um, from the group of songs we've listened to.
Yeah, we're even so lucky, really, to even get a, a snippet or, or the song of it, aren't we, to at least hear what it sounds like and everything. I mean, this one was done in February, so it was along with Our Kiss Your Memory, Victim, and the next song we'll talk about, which is Summer Ends. There's only one other song that I can see that um, that was recorded that we haven't heard of, and that's called A Child, A Girl, A Woman. So whether that one and Moonlight were discarded for the album, and then that version we've heard in Moonlight, whether it's a live recording, that I'm not sure, hence why we, we can hear it. But A Child, A Girl, A Woman is actually in the poetry book. We'll have a look at some of the lyrics just to get a rough idea what the song may be about. The lyrics read, I remember our first kisses. Should we leave, then to dry in the sun? I have lived with so many misses. Please don't end it before it's begun. I've loved you as a child, a girl, a woman. You made every dream I had come true. It is only memories I get from loving you, a child, a girl, a woman. We don't know at the moment, but that comes across as again another... Mando Bay? Mando Bay ballad type thing. But uh, at least we got one part of it anyway. Yeah. And as I mentioned a few minutes ago, the next song we're going to cover is Summer Ends. Lonely tears Must fall and blow But still the trees Stand and grow Many years must come and go, but that won't take away the love I know. And summer ends Just like a dream Well, despite summer ends going on for four and a half minutes and... All summer. <laughs> and there being arguments for it being slightly repetitive and underdeveloped, being that it is simply a home demo, this is exactly what I think is missing from the album. I could have... 45 minutes of Barry and his guitar yeah. singing songs like this. I never get bored of them. I really like this. This is, goes back to what I said on, a, I think, a few tracks earlier on, that I would have loved to have just heard Barry with an acoustic guitar, get rid of orchestra and just, just him and the, and the guitar. And obviously, you've got similar opinions to me on this one. Yeah. Yeah, I like the song. It's probably a little bit too long and, and in part probably a little bit too slow. But for what it is, it's fine. And it did manage to find a home, didn't it? On the, I think which we mentioned on the previous podcast, on a fan club release. From 1971, also including King Cathy and I Can Bring Love. I will bring the sunshine Out of the heaven, sweet love Love you forever 
It's nice to hear a demo version, and it clearly is the cream of the crop. Yeah. The next of these acoustic demos is one called King Cathy. thoughts really with summer ends it's very very nice to always have barry and an acoustic guitar a pretty song ballad style yeah i it fine by me yeah i mean it must have been really good at the time in 71 to receive this i mean they're getting three three good songs one excellent one yeah i wonder why barry released these three as opposed to anything from the kids no good we're in 71, so do you think he had plans at some point, I've made this album, I'm going to put it to one side, if things didn't materialise the Bee Gees, I could, I've got something to release or use it, stockpile of songs? I think you've hit the nail on the head there. He gave the fan club these three songs because they're just, we assume, just home demos, Barry, his guitar and a tape recorder. He could afford to give them away, Yeah. whereas the other songs... He thought, well, these someday these could go out either as a, a B-side or they could materialise. And they've got full orchestration on them and everything. Yeah, on, on a Bee Gees album or a later solo release. So he wanted to just keep them back. Who knows? But as I say, it's nice to hear them. And then the only other song that I've managed to find, which is listed in his poetry book, is one called Don't Take My Good Times Away. I've not got a lot of information on this one. Only that it's it's a work in progress song, and it, it's up tempo compared to King Cathy, Summer Ends, etc. And it would be nice to have had a developed version on yeah. the album. I assume from this he's, he's working around the verse. He's got the chorus, but working on the verse and stuff. Yeah, but yeah, good to have and listen to.
Having gone through all of the compositions that we have that are sung by Barry, this now leaves us with the work that he did with P.P. Arnold. Which we touched on briefly, didn't we, earlier on? As I say, it was really good to get the album that came out a few years back, The Turning Tide. We've said briefly about P.P. Arnold, and she was obviously introduced to Barry, and then she recorded To Love Somebody on her second album, Kafunta. And she said, Barry kept his word and helped me get a record deal with his manager, Robert Stingwood, RSO record label. Robert also became my manager. A lot of the time we went into rehearsing and learning the songs. And I was so happy when we were finally able to go into IBC Studios and start recording. She also goes on to say the recording sessions were all very uplifting, exciting and enjoyable. The songs and all of the Bill Shepherd arrangements were so beautiful and I put my young heart and soul into every vocal and all the beautiful background vocal arrangements. Working with Barry to do justice to all his beautiful songs stretched me vocally in a way I never imagined and I was so happy to be working the way they were doing things. We recorded around 10 tracks and six of these were Gibb compositions. They were Born to be Free, Bury Me Down by the River, Give a Hand, Take a Hand, Happiness, The Turning Tide, High in a Windy Mountain. And with all that in mind, Chris, shall we start with one of the highlights, which is Born. Well, from being the best, one of the best tracks on The Kid's No Good to, I think, the best track on this album. I think she does a superb version of this and different. It, it's faster. I could quite easily see somebody like Tina Turner covering it, who I would prefer singing it. It's nice to have a cover version that is a different and reimagined version, which is what I always like to see whenever an artist covers someone else's song, not to do a carbon copy but to instead reinterpret and I wonder was this Barry's decision to go for the faster tempo to have the rockier side of the song brought out or was it Arnold herself or somebody else yeah well if Barry was producing it Chris I would I would have thought it was either him or a joint position let's let's try doing it like this especially after this one was recorded literally a month or two after Barry did his version so whether they heard it and thought, let's try it at a, at a more tempo pace. Plus at the time, they both could have been released, couldn't they? So it'd been yeah. quite nice to hear a slightly different version. Because the brass arrangements that were on Barry's version are not present here? No. Out of all the compositions that she's chosen from Barry or Bee Gees, this is the best, best of the bunch. The next composition on the album is 
the reason why you bought it, High and Windy Mountain. As you say, this was the main reason I brought the album for, and obviously it was the first track I went and played when I got it. And I was a little bit underwhelmed, to be honest with you. It wasn't quite what I was expecting. It sort of meanders a bit. and Yeah, she puts her heart and soul into it, no pun intended. <laughs> it takes a while to get going. It does. Five and a half minutes. When it gets there, the journey is worthwhile. And I wonder whether it was a more plaintive ballad when they wrote it. And I noticed that on some of Arnold's pronunciation of words, she is giving that same Barry inflection yeah. into the way that she holds on to the word. And, and Well, as a producer, that's probably what he's asked for. Because as I, on that quote earlier on, she said Barry sort of stretched her and everything. So yeah. that's probably where that's coming from. And we saw the same thing with Samantha Sang with The Love of a Woman. Yeah. It's like the female version of Barry's voice. I mean, it'd be interesting because the Bee Gees actually did, did record it in September 69. Yeah, and she recorded her version, Chris, in November 69. I mean, it's quite a productive one. She did three songs, Turning Tide, which obviously we've now got, Hide a Windy, we've now got, and then there's an unreleased song called Piccanini. to Bourne, Arnold's version of Bury Me Down by the River is more faithful to what's on Cucumber Castle. Yeah. And and what you'd expect with a soulful version. I mean, she does a good job of it. 
she'd already appeared on Cucumber Castle on, on the backing for this song, which surprises me, actually, that she didn't do her own version of I Lay Down and Die, considering on the demo of that song, she features on there as well. Yeah. But she, I, they probably felt this, was, as a single, this one would be the more commercial of the two. Yeah. But yeah, as you mentioned earlier on, Chris, it would have been nice to have heard her version of Let There Be Love. I only know that I am reaching And who are we to touch the Arnold manages to transform Turning Tide into something which I quite like, especially in comparison to how it appears on Cucumber Castle. In that episode, I spoke about how that song, in terms of where it featured on the album, how it was sequenced, felt a little bit understated and got a bit lost in the mix. But Arnold's version is stripped back slightly. Yeah, the very beginning bit, it's, it's stripped back, isn't it? And then gradually the strings come in. Which really helps to add emphasis to the chorus when it does come in. So yeah, I, I do really like this version. Doing this song early in the sessions in 69, I wonder whether it made Barry think that's why he wanted to work with her following year and try and do a full album with her. He must have been really pleased with the results. P.P. Arnold's version of Give a Hand, Take a Hand is closer to the 69 version than it is to the version that appeared on Mr. Natural, which makes sense. Yeah. But as we said with that 69 demo, we will save our thoughts on the song itself until the Mr. Natural episode. Yeah. I wonder, actually, when they come to do Mr. Natural and they propose to do this song, I wonder whether Arif Martin heard her version along with the Bee Gees original. Or whether they just literally sung it in the studio. I'd never thought about that. Because her version is has a more soulful flavour to it. And if that's the route they wanted to go down, as opposed to the the ballady songs that they were that, that it was written at the time, wasn't it? So Yeah. Because they're pursuing a more R and B approach. Yeah. Which ties in nicely to P.P. Arnold's version of Give a Hand. You know I did the same to me All I ever asked Is happiness Don't take my love away 
this song goes on to what you were saying earlier, Chris, when we were talking about The Kid's No Good, or even some tracks from Cuban Castle, where tracks that we thought was a little bit lost in the mix, you suddenly hear this one and the, and the song sort of comes to life. Yeah. I like this one quite a lot. I like the lounge cocktail flavour yeah. given to it. Barry would sort of, again, listen to this, and I'm, and I'm thinking, well, 16, 15 years down the line, and he produces tracks for... Dinah Ross album, Eat Alive, and there's a couple of tracks on there, more and more, and even probably one or two on Barbara Streisand, where it's that sort of loungy feel, but you've got a re- a vocalist that knows how to twist and turn the notes. In terms of compositions, this just leaves us with the list as sourced through the poetry book. We've mentioned the poetry book quite a few times through this episode, and and this is available through the GSI website. I will put a link to it in the podcast description so you can go and have a look. And it includes about 10 titles to which there are lyrics or poems associated and linked to them, but we don't have any music to go with it. So I'll list through a couple of these titles and we'll look at some of the lyrics and just see what we think. And of course, if anyone knows anything more about them, please do get in touch. There are titles such as A Hat Full of Rain, Don't Make It All Go Wrong, Good Night Night, Morning Morning, Like a Love Gone Wrong, Love on My Mind, Night, Just Another Night, Purple Angel, Too Many Too Few, Walk Between the Raindrops. Those ones that you've read out, I would think... At least half of them would be songs. Yeah, and one of those songs, Chris, is called Don't Take My Man Away. But if you look at the lyrics, it says, please don't take my man away. So I assume that's probably the song that Samantha sang, sang, (laughs) that was unreleased when they recorded it in 69. Okay. That goes to say that these are songs. So I'm, I'm more inclined to believe that probably most of them are. And somewhere in some vaults. Yeah. They lie unreleased. Just, just home demos. I'll pick a few of these titles and read through the lyrics. For example, there's a poem that's titled Just Another Night. So that reads as... It was just another night, like last night. And the way you danced was just the same. There's been other nights like this, when the millionth times we kissed, together we would race the rain. It was just another time, like the last time. But my love gets stronger, day by day. It was just another night, and I hope it never fades away. So that sounds like the chorus. Yeah. And then a poem called A Hat Full of Rain. Can you spare one minute for a lonely man? Can you give your time to a stranger? Because I ain't seen your face in so long. Can you spare one minute of your time? Keep thinking that I'm walking backwards. I'm living in a hat full of rain. If I find a way to save myself, I'll put my heart back together again. My mirror is a lonely shadow. Life is a bowl of pain. Keep thinking that I'm walking backwards. I'm living in a hat full of rain. Mm. It makes you really interested as to which of these songs are slow and which ones are more country or which ones are... Well, again, when he mentions the word lonely... (laughs) I'm straight on the slow version 
and then looking across the page to good night, morning, morning, whispering wind, you know where you're blowing, so I'll go where you're going, you'll be my guide, shadow of night, fade out without warning, welcome in the morning, you'll be my guide, good night, night, morning, morning, you are everyone's friend, good night, night, morning, morning, till my morning's end. Okay. Now that we've looked through all of the material, let's take a look at some critical reception and we'll start with Barry and his own thoughts on the album. Well, I've got I've got a quote here from Mark, probably not so much about the album, but it's from March 1970. And it basically says, after six months of silence, Barry talks, is asked five questions. Most interestingly, he said that he recorded a solo single in the style of Don't Forget to Remember. He was also planning to start a film career. I have so many offers, he says, that I can choose the best. He answers a question whether it's true that uh, Robert Stigwood is trying to get the Bee Gees together. He replies, I can only laugh. I'm finished with Mr Stigwood and the Bee Gees. And then the final question, Robin and Morris said repeatedly that you have been the aggressor and brought them all apart. He answers, it's all lies. I could not kick anybody out of the band. Only Stigwood could do that. The truth is that the Bee Gees will never exist we lost contact. We only hear from each other through our mothers or through the papers. That was interviewed. You can pretty much gather straight after the last recording session for the kids. No good. Yeah. At which point he must have still believed that this this is a record which is going to come out at some point in 1970. Yeah. Looking in the ultimate biography, there's some quotations from Barry circa July 1970. And he says, talking about the Bee Gees, Obviously, we're still brothers, but we are no longer one as a group. Over the last year, there's been lots written about the Gibb family and the Bee Gees. Regardless of what publicity comes out in the future about the Bee Gees, I can assure you I'm going to stick to my solo career, regardless of what Robin and Morris do. I've yet to have a big hit as a solo artist. I was disappointed that Robin's One Million Years and Morris's Railroad failed to make the charts in England, but perhaps they were too much like the old Bee Gees sound. I think I have fallen into the same trap. He then goes on to say, There is nothing that I like more than to while away my time in a recording studio, putting down the songs that I have written. Writing by myself, it becomes easier to fit into a pattern, and, in the long run, it has been more rewarding. However, in this same passage, it goes on to say how Barry missed working with his brothers, and he says that their contributions converted a couple of lines of the beginning of a melody into a big hit record. It has been hard over the last year writing songs without the help of the Gibb team, Yeah, which we noticed. You miss the bass of Morris, the Robin and his lyrics, quirky style. (laughs) Fortunately, things do change very soon. This quotation from July 1970 must have been one of the last interviews that he gave talking about them being apart before they then came together. Yeah, because I think by July, I think Morris and uh, Robin were working together. Which perhaps he'd caught wind of, hence giving this statement to say, well, they could be working together, but at that very point in time, I'm still on my own until he then joined them. On All Music, Bruce Eder says, 
One could think of this material as the equivalent of lost solo tracks by any of the Beatles from the same era, except that it's clear that The Kid's No Good was a finished work, thus making the bulk of these songs considerably more satisfying aesthetically than, say, a bunch of unfinished John Lennon or Paul McCartney tracks off of Let It Be. This is a record that casual listeners could enjoy without having to make allowances for its origins. From the moody Mando Bay to the somewhat Beatlesque One Bad Thing, the sounds here are of a piece with the late 60s Bee Gees outputs, and they're worth owning by any admirers of the trio who are interested in stretching their legacy as far as possible. A lot of the material is sentimental and country-flavoured. There probably wasn't a big hit single here, at least for the American market, but it's all good listening and does indeed sound a lot like one might picture the Bee Gees album that should have fallen in between Cucumber Castle and Two Years On. Yeah, I agree with all that completely. It is worth talking about the title of the album, The Kid's No Good. Do you know where that title comes from? Not a clue. Is it a film or something? No, I'll give you a clue. It's from. It's pulled from a later Bee Gees song. Um... If I was to say it was from Life in a Tin Can? No, you, st- you still got me. Is, um, you've asked me that, I can't think of one track from... from <laughs> Life, there's only eight on that album. Yeah. <laughs> Living in Chicago, no, I don't think it'd be that one. No, I can't think. Come Home, Johnny Bridey. Oh, OK. Everybody's here, kids no good. Even though I mentioned that this album... Because, you know, you asked me about singles. Does it hold many things that could chart? And I didn't think so. Believe it or not, out of the 12 tracks, six of them, Barry gave away to other people. So he's quite open to giving his songs away. Whereas, obviously, with Robin and Morris, apart from Robin Morris's contacts, none of them tracks were released by anybody else, was there? I mean, if you look at Barry's, you've you've got Born and One Bad Thing... The Day Your Eyes Met Mine, Happiness, Peace of Mind, all those were given away, and that's the first five tracks off the album. And then you've got Mando Bay. Admittedly, nearly all these were given to people that we've never heard of. And I think one or two were, I think, German singers, I believe. But it proves that Barry was quite open, as I say, open to, you know, giving somebody a chance of songs that he had no intention, I would assume, by then, because these are all, most of these were done the following year, 71, was it? Yeah, most of these were given in '71, so obviously Bee Gees were back in full flow. So, and I'm starting to think, and we'll see whether you agree or disagree with me. Do you think that this album would have been better if he'd have taken the Barbara Streisand approach and have done it fifty-fifty, or you know, as more of a collaboration with P.P. Arnold, and have had songs where she was singing lead, featuring him, and vice versa? Yeah, probably. Whereas Barbara Streisand and Dion Warwick, Diana Ross, they were all well-known, established stars, admittedly probably some of them from hits from the 60s, but you could give it a full album to P.P. Arnold, but her name wasn't that probably well-known outside the circle. I mean, she was obviously liked by people at the time who she worked with, but whether at the time I assume Barry, it was just a case of she he was producing the album, and then there was other other writers that wanted to give her songs. Wait 
looking at our score comparisons... As we do. <laughs> you started off before the podcast with an average of a 6.1, and then you increased to a 6.9. Oh, okay. Which was my biggest... Um... They were all increases by one. For oh, example, okay. Victim, Born, Peace in My Mind, all increased by one. I went from a 6.5 to a 6.6. So you're a lot less than me. Because I would think I've known the material a lot longer than you. Yes. Yeah, that's why. Yeah. So you haven't really changed that much because obviously you've not really started listening to this properly till before doing the podcast. But again, like we said with Morris, okay, your score is a 6.9, round that up to a 7. If I was to ask you right now, Kids No Good, would you say 7 out of 10 as an album? I wouldn't be that far out. Yeah, 6, 7. We, we've marked them in, as individuals then, haven't we? But if you're looking probably at a whole album experience, I think people that enjoyed Bee Gees' first four albums would enjoy this because it's just a continuation. So I think 6-7 is, is a pretty fair score. But as I said before, I think this is an album where the whole is weaker than the sum mm. of its parts. Whenever I listen to this album... I'm really enthused by the first three songs and then it hits happiness and I'm already start to wane a bit yeah exactly I'm starting to lose interest and I'm only sticking around for the victim and I'll be honest there'll be times when I'll stop listening after then because this time what's it all about Mando Bay that they're not strong enough to keep me interested whereas I suppose when I listened to it I had had born to look forward to yeah which maybe that's why it works better yeah as a closer yeah okay well with that we've just about wrapped up all of Barry's work going up to this point. Would you like to introduce what we'll be looking at in the next episode? We're going to go back to Robin this time, aren't we? (laughs) And I think we're going to cover quite a bit of material. We've mentioned quite a lot of times that the, it's all helped by the Saved by the Bell reissue. So we'll we'll be delving deep into all that and one or two oddities that we find on the way. We shall leave you with a preview and we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you very much. Good night. Goodbye. What have you to lose If he stands in your shoes Sometimes you remind yourself Of days gone by The one that understood And loved you if she could Left you long ago Thank you for listening to Words, the Bee Gees podcast, presented by Stuart and Cristiano Jepson. Follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Words Bee Gees Podcast and on Twitter at Words Bee Gees Pod. Or, if you'd like to get in touch, you can email us at wordsbeegeespodcast at gmail.com. Friendship fills the size In all the rooms within your two Ask someone around They don't want to know